today on Ag News Daily. Even though right now the agricultural grain fundamentals are supportive. So in the short term, it's going to be interesting to see this technical selling or some profit taking by the funds win out in the short term. Happy Monday here on the Ag News Daily Podcast. It's Ashton Carr joined by Delaney Howell. And Delaney, I am filled with a lot of Red Raider pride today because the Texas Tech meat judging team just won its 15th national meat judging contest. Well, are you part of the national meat judging team, Ashton? (laughs) No, I'm not. But I have a lot of friends who judge meats and, you know, it's obviously part of the College of Agriculture. So I'm definitely proud to represent. That is really awesome, Ashton. And do they have any Texas Tech football this weekend? We did. We played OU Halloween night and we lost. <laughs> it wasn't really a good game, but, you know, we're not a football school, so I'm really not surprised at this point. Yeah, no, you're a basketball school and that's totally fine. Oh, absolutely. I'm a basketball fan more than I am a football fan. And so I'm really excited for basketball season to get started. We have Matt McClung coming on to the team. So very excited to see what this season brings for Texas Tech basketball. Absolutely. Well, the season is almost here for basketball and it's almost over finally for harvest season already. We don't have crop progress numbers out quite yet, but I suspect we will see both corn and soybeans pretty close uh, near completion. I think they're in the 70s last week. I'm anticipating them to be probably in the 90s this week, Ashton. What other news do you have kicking off this week? Well, let's see. Of course, the big obvious news, Ashton, is that tomorrow is election day. So excited to get that through and uh, done and over with. So hopefully everybody has voted or has made plans to vote tomorrow. One story I'm watching today, Ashton, besides the political arena, hopefully not all our listeners are paying solely attention to that. I'm sure that's going to be on the agenda, at least here for the next few days, though, as we do figure out who our new leader is. Um, More African swine fever cases have been confirmed in Saxony, Germany, and this now has spread to another German state in the east eastern part of the country. So far, we've seen, you know, again, no commercial herds been hit. But this area of Saxony in Germany is a pretty big hog producing area. There's about 3,000 farmers with about 600 and just under 700,000 pigs in the area. So, so far we've seen the ministry, their their agricultural ministry react pretty quickly. They've been setting up crisis management teams and looking to set up restriction zones to ensure that we don't see this move to a commercial area. But we also know then, Ashton, that we've seen about 117 cases in Germany alone. So it's getting closer, it seems, to potentially having a a herd that is impacted in a commercial settings as opposed to just a wild boar population. It certainly seems like it's going to be hitting some of those commercial herds, Delaney, but hopefully those producers are taking extra measures and being really precautious. Um, when it comes to African swine fever and really protecting their herds. But I also have some pig news or pork news, I should say, coming from Thailand. U.S. Trade Representative Lighthizer is issuing trade 
sanctions against Thailand following a 2018 petition from the National Pork Producers Council. The U.S. is suspending $817 million in trade preferences under the Generalized System of Preferences Program because the country hasn't made sufficient progress towards providing the U.S. with, quote, equitable and reasonable market access for U.S. pork production. The U.S. is Thailand's top export market, and almost $4 billion of products are sent to the U.S. under the GSP, but Thailand's high tariffs and several non-tariff barriers on pork unjustly locks the U.S. out of Thailand's market. NPPC President A.V. Roth, a pork producer from Wisconsin, says that Thailand has taken full advantage of special U.S trade benefits while unjustly creating a de facto ban on U.S. pork. And he also adds that the organization is hopeful that the administration's next move will result in fair access to the Thai market for U.S. pork producers. Yeah, I saw that news come out late uh, Friday evening as well, Ashton. So I'm glad you brought that and followed that up for us. Absolutely. But one other story that I was looking at today is concerning Dicamba. We're seeing a lot more folks come out and talk about that decision and that re-registration since it was released in the middle of last week. But a weed scientist says that it's good to have Dicamba re-registered and available for the 2021 growing season, but it will mean more effort and expense for growers. Rodrigo Whirl with the University of Wisconsin told Brownfield Ag News that some of the required pH balancing agent is already in dicamba jugs, but not enough to meet the new label restrictions. So I'm kind of wanting to keep a lookout for what farmers and producers are going to do since they do have to have that that uh, balancing agent when they are using dicamba and just looking forward to seeing what other producers and growers have to say once they start, you know, buying those dicamba products and, you know, since he says it's more of an effort and more of an expense, I I don't see farmers just completely not using dicamba since, you know, we did have that re-registration, but I mean, he has a point that it's, it's more of an effort and more money out of your pocket. Yeah, it it definitely is. So it's going to be an interesting challenge uh, to work through here, but be great to have maybe some folks on to talk about what this means for those folks who do use Dicamba products moving forward. Absolutely, Delaney. I have just one more story that I wanted to talk about today, and it's concerning Britain and the United States. Both countries are confident that ongoing trade talks are heading towards a comprehensive agreement that was stated by the British Trade Ministry earlier today. The two two countries have now finished their fifth round of talks aimed at securing a trade deal, which in Britain is seen as one of the big prizes on offer after the country left the European Union earlier this year and began negotiating its own bilateral deals. And I was pretty interested in this because as you know, the election is coming up, I've seen the Biden administration or Biden supporters and Trump supporters or the Trump administration talking about trade deals on on both sides as we're finishing out campaign season really here shortly. But I believe it was Senator Chuck Grassley who stated that the Trump administration, if if Trump is to get reelected into office, is confident that this this trade deal will go go through and see a, a free trade deal type 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 thing with the UK. 
All right. Well, Ash, and I have just one other piece of news as well. As we look at uh, talking, talking markets here in just a moment with Naomi Bloom, we saw markets pull back again today. And in fact, corn futures have had the fifth decline in six sessions here amid continued concerns that we are seeing more coronavirus lockdowns and that it will curb ethanol and oil usage. We also saw wheat rebound from a five-day slump. So the markets are feeling mostly a little pressure today, heading into election season or election polling tomorrow. Let's kick things off here first, though, with the December corn market. As they closed down today, a penny to close at 3.97 and a half. The March down a penny and a half to close at 4.01 and three quarters. In the soybean pits, November pulling back five and three quarters cent today to close at 10.50 and three quarters. The January down four to close at 10.52 and a quarter. As I mentioned, wheat today had a nice little rally. There's still continued um, weather concerns going on, you know, worldwide, especially in the Black Sea region and Australia. And that remained pretty supportive for wheat today as the the Chicago December contract added nine cents to close at 607 and a half. The March up eight to close at 608 even. In the livestock pits, the December live cattle contract adding a quarter today to close at 108.55. The February up 12 and a half to close at 110.52. Feeder cattle pulled back today as the November contract down 42 and a half cents to close at 136.97 and a half. The January down just seven cents to close at 134.05 and a half. And in lean hogs, mixed trade today as the December contract added 37 and a half cents to close at 65.95. The February down in quarter to close at 65.30. And rounding out our markets with the class three dairy milk futures. We're talking dairy today with Naomi Bloom. So of course, we've got to see where they ended today. And the roller coaster ride continues as the November contract shed 19 cents to close at 23.71. December down 49 cents to close at 19.96. Without further ado, Ashton, let's kick it over to our conversation with Naomi Bloom. Well, for today's hashtag Market Monday conversation, joined by the wonderful Naomi Bloom, Senior Analyst with Total Farm Marketing. Naomi, how are you doing today? I am good, Delaney. Thanks for having me. Yeah, so excited to have you back on, Naomi, because I think the last time we had you on, maybe markets were in limbo, but uh, now they're definitely seeming like they've been higher for quite some time. We've seen a few pullbacks here recently, and we'll talk a little bit more about that. But Naomi, I'm curious, and you're a part of the country up there in Wisconsin, how is harvest coming along? Well, slow and steady where we are, I would say um, probably three quarters of the crops are out um, where I'm at on the eastern side of the state. Um, but there's still a little bit to go. We had some rain last week, um, but now it's dried up and we're supposed to have a gorgeous sunny week of upper 50 degree temperatures. So I think a lot is going to get wrapped up. Yeah, I agree. I think a lot of folks around this uh, neck of the woods too here in central Iowa are chugging right along and we're going to see this be a really fast harvest wrap up this year, I'd say. But Naomi, as you look at commodity prices, how is this year's early harvest completion factoring into the markets right now? Well, it's what's been interesting is that it's um, really allowed the producers to take advantage of the the higher prices that have been out there because of the export demand. Um, I'm very curious when all is said and done, how much the producers have been selling off the combine versus how much they're actually going to be storing at home or in town. Because the market, of course, 
um, there's no carry in the corn or bean price. So the market is not really paying you to store your grain. So um, in the next few weeks, uh, we'll find out more uh, what is remaining or what has been sold and maybe even exported out of the country already. Yeah, let's talk a little bit more about exports here, Naomi. We've seen a really a strong export-driven or demand-driven rally in both corn and soybeans and arguably wheat. Where do you think we're going to head from here? Um, I think we are going to be at a short-term pause, in a sense, until we get through the election. Um, one thing I've been noticing over the past week, the value of the U.S. dollar has been creeping higher and I think depending on the election, the outcome, or if it takes us a couple of weeks to figure out who the president is, that's going to um, affect the value of the dollar, which, of course, as you know, Delaney, um, when the dollar goes higher, it's not fantastic for our export market. And what we're also going to be keeping an eye on, of course, in general, is that Chinese demand. I have been hearing how our corn is still the cheapest around the world. And there's even talk that now Brazil might need to import not only soybeans from us, but potentially a little bit of corn. So the next few weeks are going to be very volatile, very exciting, very interesting to be watching all facets of agriculture as it pertains not only to the U.S., but to the world. Absolutely. And I, mean, I want to dive in a little bit deeper here. Let's talk to some corn. We've seen a couple of days now of pullbacks. It almost looks like maybe we've seen a reversal on the chart. Is that what you're seeing as well? Well, what I do see is on a weekly chart, a bearish key reversal for both corn and soybean futures. And, and it's pretty textbook as far as uh, what it looks like. You know, obviously last week's high earlier in the week, we were excited about more export news. And then we just kind of ran out of steam because of the talk of Europe shutting down again from COVID 2.0. And that just stole the thunder out of prices not to mention month-end position squaring, and people, I think, just heading to the sidelines ahead of the election. So the bearish key reversal is sticking out pretty predominantly, even though right now the agricultural grain fundamentals are supportive. So in the short term, it's going to be interesting to see does technical selling or some profit-taking by the funds win out for the short term, or can something truly positive happen this week to get grain prices back on the up and up? Is the election enough of something positive to make grain prices on the up and up? I feel like that seems like a factor that really shouldn't. But I, I've heard this term election protection floating around recently amongst market analysts. And and I don't know is the answer, Delaney. I don't know what it would take for the market to be you know, totally excited or totally defeated by election results. Um, so I think because we don't know, that's where that term, you know, the election protection makes sense as far as maybe looking at buying some December corn puts or even December soybean puts. Um, good for 18 more days. It gets you through the election, gets you through the next USDA report. And it has been good value. So you should be looking at protecting on price bushels. Naomi, what's the story when you turn our attention to the wheat complex? They've had a pretty good day today. You know, it did have a good day, and some of those daily charts were posting some positive um, bullish reversals on daily charts. There was talk about um, China and what they were doing within their country when they were doing their um, domestic sales. And so the thought was that, well, they're selling a lot of wheat from their reserves. Well, that's great. Maybe that's going to be that they're selling out their reserves. So will they be buying wheat 
for import. And so it was a far-fetched uh, put-together um, connotation that I was reading across the newswire today. Um, but that is, from what I saw, why the wheat market was up, and it continues to be drier in Russia. In some parts of Russia where they grow wheat, it's um, the driest it's been in 30 years. So there is concern to their wheat development as the weeks and months go on. And Naomi, I'm going to surpass livestock here to talk dairy to make sure we get that weaved in today's conversation because they have had really, it seems like some roller coaster days here being up and then down. Uh, what is going on? And I mean, you know, I guess I should consider too, or we should consider that dairy prices are still pretty favorable right now. Oh, they're phenomenal. Yeah. So class three milk futures, uh, November is uh, the one that's got the most traction and the most volume right now. Uh, last week on Friday, it got up to $23.98, so near $24 milk. It's it's wonderful, and today's high, $23.91. So there is a lot of volatility in price swings, but overall what continues to support the milk price right now is the Farm to Families program and the government cheese buying program that's essentially happening, and it's now expected to happen through the end of 2020. So that's the demand-led part of this market. It's encouraging. It's exciting. Our dairy exports for 2020 right now from January through August are up 12% from year ago levels. So the value of a lower dollar overall had been wonderful for the dairy market. Now here comes the point of caution. And that is that when you look at the most recent September milk production report, milk production was at 18 billion pounds and that is up 2.3% from a year ago. That is significant. Anytime you have a milk production report where the percent increase is more than 1%, usually that's really bearish to the market and you would have thought it would have taken everything lower. But because of that cheese buying program, that is trumping this overproduction that we have right now. So the caution becomes when the end of 2020 is near and that government cheese buying program dries up, we're going to be faced with a situation where we have a lot of milk milk production, and prices could slip. So just be aware of that as we go into the month ahead. And Naomi, for those dairy producers listening, how would you advise them to handle that potential slip that's looming? Well, just for right now, be aware of it. There's no sign of a top in the marketplace, but do be thinking of different strategies for defensive mindset with ERP, uh, with your uh, processing plant. If you're thinking about puts, again, there is no sign of a top right now but just start to think defensive in the back of your mind. All right. And Naomi, finally, let's turn our attention here to the livestock complex. Let's talk cattle first. What's your thoughts about uh, the happenings that have been going on there lately? Yeah, so the cattle market, of course, just came under fire and under pressure um, from the standpoint of um, fears that because of COVID and maybe more restaurants shutting down, that uh, the the American consumer is not going to be going out to eat again or buying beef. So in my opinion, it was a little bit of an excuse. The market just had been chugging higher, starting to trade sideways, and it ran out of friendly news. So path of least resistance was down. Now, late last week, we had a nice um, push higher um, towards the end of the week, and now prices are at a little bit of a stalemate. December cattle futures uh, right now are going to have some very significant overhead resistance near 109 and a half. Um, that's where the 40 and 50 day moving averages come together and uh, the 100 day moving average is right near 109. It's going to take some big fundamental news in terms of cash 
or maybe some export demand to get that higher. But in the short term, with the election happening again, probably path of least resistance for the moment is sideways, maybe a smidge lower, but we're, we're going to be watching cash markets. Last week, cash for cattle were kind of an average price near 105 or 106. Um, so we need some better cash news to get that market moving higher overall. Fantastic. Naomi, before I let you go, if some of our listeners have questions or thoughts or want to chat with you more about markets, how can they do that? Oh, yes. Please feel free to give me a call. Uh, The office number is 800-334-9779 and ask for Naomi. Um, Or you can send me an email. Email is pretty simple. It's naomi at totalfarmmarketing.com or you can find me on Twitter and shoot me a DM. Fantastic. Well, Naomi, thank you so much again for joining us today. You are welcome. Thanks for having me. It was great to visit with you. Well, again, a big thank you there to Naomi for talking markets with us today. Certainly appreciate her coming on and hearing her insight. Absolutely, Delaney. And we're always looking to listen to more insight from farmers, producers, you know, who, whoever in the agriculture industry. And you can reach out to us if you have any special stories or special insights that you'd like us to discuss on the podcast on social media at Ag News Daily. And you can listen to past and future episodes on the Ag News Daily website. With that, Delaney, should we let the people go? Let's let them go.